0: It's still morning. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm going to give everybody a warning. You will be sitting there at noon. <laughs> um, and what I mean by that is, listen, we have camp out. Who said you were going home anyway? You all brought, brought your tents, right, and brought the food. It's all it's in the fridge, right? So we're just, we can go all day. Can I get an amen? Wow. <laughs> Guess what? I'm going to go home before I come back, so so we are in, where are we? Thanks, guys, they helped me out, I didn't even have to really touch it. Uh, we're in the book of James, praise the Lord. We're going to get through this book whenever, I don't know, but um, we're in James chapter 2, so if you could turn in your Bibles uh, to the book of James. Now, if you want, I have also, everything I'm going to read from the Bible, except for a couple of verses is all gonna be up on the screen so you can take a look at it up there as well. Um, it's been a week for me. So it, it's been a, been a week. I, I've been ill, I dealt with a fever, I dealt with, went to my stomach, everything that comes with that, no, no details there. Um, I facilitated Wednesday night. Those of you who are here, I felt absolutely horrible Wednesday night. I was barely standing. I, I'm talking to Mike, and I was like, I'm barely moving here. Um, but praise the Lord. He, he gives us strength beyond our, as he gives us wisdom, he also gives us strength. Um, preparing this message, I've been chewing on this message for two to three weeks. And at 4.30 yesterday afternoon, everything got blown up. Why did it get blown up? because I decided to dig a little bit deeper on what I thought I was going to talk about or where I thought this was, was going to go. And I, I want to say, well, I love it when the Lord does that, but some, my flesh is like, I've heard you talk about it. Others have talked about it. No, Lord, please don't. So, yeah. So I didn't get any sleep last night, and God is good, right? Right. Okay, so I'll go ahead and, thank you guys, um, James chapter 2, verse 1 through 13. We'll read the whole thing, and then we'll start parsing it. So, my brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes... And you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, you sit here in a good place and say to the poor man, you stand there or sit here at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Do they not blaspheme that noble name by which you are called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever shall keep the whole law, and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now, Now if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this blessed day you've given us. Lord, just thank you for worship today. Thank you, Lord, that we can draw in with the sacrifice of praise, Lord. Thank you for Sunday school, Lord, anointing Mike to just give us a strong word from the, from the gospel of Mark in the first chapter. Lord, we just thank you for this day and what you've given us, Lord, for the events coming up this evening and tomorrow, we're also thankful. Lord, we're just thankful to be here. In your name we pray. Amen. What I forgot to mention is uh, I wasn't feeling well last week, and then as I was preparing this message, then I got a sty in my eye. I'm rhyming, but yeah, so that seems to be better now, but it's just It was a rough week, just everything hitting all at once. So, but, but again, he's good. So let's take a look at James chapter two, verse, look at one. My brethren, and we're going to move a little quick because I'm trying to be mindful of time and we have communion as well. My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory with partiality. I bolded two words, hold and partiality. Hold, the Greek word for that is echo, 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 apparently, but it's echo. So to hold something, right, I have the clicker, right? The projector, clicker, whatever you call it. I'm holding it in my hand, so I have it in my hand. I'm keeping it. It's mine. It's my clicker. I can direct its position, where is the clicker going? Is it going to click over to you, or is it going to click over to you? I can push the red light, but I don't want to blind you, right? The little red dot on here. Everybody knows what we're talking about, the red dot. So I can direct it. What I didn't see was the fourth bullet point. If you hold something, if you have direction over it, then you can change it. You can amend it. And what I, what I typed in there is right out of Strong's. I, I, these aren't words that I made up. So you can change it. So now let's look at the first part of verse 1. My brethren, do not hold the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. What does that say now? Don't change it. Whoo! that changes a lot of what we just read. And people do have the ability to change it. It doesn't mean it's truth. If they change it, then it's not truth. However, they do. You can turn on the radio. You can turn on the TV. You can watch preachers online, right? And you go, ooh, that's, what he said just didn't seem right. That's because they're holding it but they're amending it. They're changing it. The last part, the Lord of glory with partiality. I am not, well, let's try to pronounce it. Persvapalempsia. Okay. It means respect of persons. Well, partiality would mean you're partial to one over another. That is respect of persons. It means passing judgment based on outward circumstances or preferring someone Who is more worthy based on? Here's a couple of factors that were mentioned in Strong's wealth, power, status. Or let's just be honest here it's preferring people that are like us. How many here like hanging with people who are like you? Come on, be honest. Right? Right? Preferring people who are more like us. So, praise the Lord. In the Mike mentioned the prayer for the gentleman. I'm not going to say the names now um, as this is going to go out, but the gentleman in Utica, New York. Um, praise the Lord. I showed a picture of them on Wednesday. They don't look like the family he's staying with, do they? But they weren't partial, were they? They preached the Lord Jesus to him. He accepted. He got kicked out of his family's homes where he grew up his whole life. So now he lives with... That family, the other family that preached the gospel to him they didn 't amend they didn 't amend the gospel because he doesn't he 's not like us he doesn 't talk like us his name's spelled kind of funky compared to what our name is like. He looks a little different than us, right so we are not to amend the faith of the Lord Jesus. The Lord of glory, and we're not to be partial. Verse 2. For now we're going to get into a real world example from James. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes, we'll stop there. Let me read the next verse. You don't have to turn to it or, or look at it. So we have this two men. One comes in, gold rings, fine apparel. And then another man comes in in filthy clothes. And you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, you sit here in a good place and say to the poor man, "Uh, you stand there, come sit here at my footstool. So that's the context. So back to this. Decided to, wasn't going to go this direction, but I looked at gold rings. What's the symbolic? Why would James use this example? That's what I wanted to know gold rings they were given as a token of investment and authority uh, i actually read one commentator who said that in the ancient world in this time frame that actually you could find street vendors who rented out rings for men because men needed to impress people or they were going to have a dinner party and they wanted to be all i have one ring okay but they would they be all what's the word bling right They'd be blinged out. They symbolize favor and credibility with those higher in society. Typically, a ring was was given to somebody because they served a special purpose for a higher up. They were given some special authority or it was a signet, right? They didn't use email back then. They wrote a letter or whatever, right? We know the emperors did that. We know royalty did that, but higher ups in society did that as well. And then we also see in the third bullet point, generally, they were worn by rich men or by men who could rent. Probably, they weren't really gold. They were probably, you know, gold-plated or something like that. Uh, And they were also an adornment because women wore gold rings as well. They were an adornment for women. So this guy, we're going to boil this down to turkey run. And I'm not going to put Kurt at the door. I'm going to put myself at the door. So I'm not going to pick on you, Kurt. But we're going to put me at the door. I'm the greeter on a given day, okay? So this person also had fine apparel. Lampros is the Greek word for fine. Um, but it means radiant. Radiant, magnificent, bright. As bright, if not brighter than one of Wayne's Hawaiian shirt. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> Hey Wayne half of my life asked my family I wore Hawaiian shirts am I right of course I grew up in California so it was kind of normal and a lot of people did that but I haven't worn one in years I need to go buy one just to, I'll come up here and do it but anyway um, so I love it the next is poor man uh, pochos something like that tochos the poor man Looking at uh, the Strongs, he's a beggar. He's destitute, right? Destitute of all, remember those three things we talked about? But in Strongs, it actually says he's also destitute of any Christian virtue. He's just a worldly guy coming off the street. And his clothes are unbelievably, and you see filthy clothes, Riperos. His clothes, if you looked at him, what did he look like? He looked cheap. He looked shabby. He looked morally wicked. He looked defiled. And frankly, dirty. He might have smelled too. Smelled like the streets. Smelled like the world. Right? We've all been there. Maybe not in the physical, but we've all been there in the spiritual, haven't we? Okay. So back to part B of verse 2, or excuse me, verse 3. And you pay attention. The two men walk in. I'm the greeter. And you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, you, sit here in a good place and say to the poor man, you stand there or sit here at my footstool. First of all, pay attention is bolded up there. It means focus. So again, I'm the greeter. I see the car pull in or I see the bicycle roll in, you know who's in, who's on watch, right? And then they get out, they're coming to the door, and I see, you know, maybe they don't come in at the same time, but I see the two men. First one I see, bling, 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 nice bright clothes, radiant, clean, sharp. I say, hey, come on in. Pastor Mike's preaching today. You're going to love it. We're going to give you a seat right in a good place, right there, By the way, all you sit in the back, that is a good spot right over there, by the way. Because the bling guy comes in. We're going to throw him right there. No. What does that mean? It's a place of honor. It's a place of preference. And if we really dig deep into my own dirty heart, okay, I want that blingy guy to come in. I want to give him a good spot because I want to impress him. And don't we all have that in us at times? Amen. I didn't say this message was going to be laughs and giggles the whole time. So we get the good, we get the bling guy. We get him seated. He's ready. In comes the second man. And I see him. And I'm like, oh, wow. He's not one of us. Right. So I say, hey, you stand there. I put him in the corner back there by Dustin. Dustin, keep an eye on that guy. <laughs> what did I say to that man? Stay out of the way. If you're up there, nobody here can see you. Right? Or... Now, James uses this example, because we're going to take a look at, at what a footstool is in the ancient world, but sit here at my footstool, that is not something we would hear in our modern culture. We all know what a footstool is. I mean, if, and we probably have one in our house, but you know, if something like if I'm sitting on a chair or, or a couch and I've just put my foot on it and so I can stretch out a little bit, right? But also if you look at, from, from antiquity, if you look at thrones, throne rooms are actually a throne You'll see something raised up, I don't know how high, 12, 14, 16, 24 inches off the ground, and the emperor, whoever, can, or the, the lord of a household, can put their feet on that so their feet aren't resting on the ground. Okay? Um, so that's the physical footstool, but we're gonna look at footstool more with our spiritual eyes. Hypopodian. So, footstool in Strong's Concordance means to be subject to. So now, the rich guy came in, and I put him right there in front of the fishers. He's got the seat to see it all. We're going to impress that man. The poor guy comes in, the beggar, devoid of any Christian virtue, anything like that. By the way, I haven't ever really spoke to the guy. I made that judgment just with my eyes, my sinful eyes, right? And so he comes in, and I'm like, hmm, let's put you on the wall back there. You're subject to us. Really? Is that what Christ died for? Or we're going to reduce him to be under our power. Turkey run power, right? No. And when I wrote this, I didn't have turkey run in mind. Okay, Because I'm looking at this more from a spiritual perspective, and we'll see that here in a moment. So what is the ancient concept Of footstool. So we're going to take a quick, quick visit in time. And we're going to look at this. This is Pharaoh Nanner. Okay. Pharaoh Nanner, of course, Pharaoh, he's from Egypt. And this was around 3200 BC. That's when he ruled Egypt. That's a long time ago. 3200 BC. The depiction is he has uh, a subject or an enemy and he has them by the top of the head. But what's under his feet? People. So in 3200 B.C., it wasn't necessarily depicted as a footstool where somebody put a foot on a neck, but it was more they were under him. They were under his power, his control. Again, think about that, 3200 B.C. Now we're going to jump a little bit. Mike Roy, I can't remember if you actually showed this a long time ago, this actual same picture. This is, um, I'll call him emperor. I don't know what they called him. Tilglath the III from the kingdom of Assyria. And this is in the 700s BC. So we went from 3200 BC to around 700s BC. Does anybody see what I'm seeing? What do you see? You see his right foot. I'll help you. That is a footstool in the ancient world. That's a depiction of a real man. And we know who these people are because I'll go back one super fast. See the very, very top? That's cuneiform writing. And that writing goes up, I think, 10, 20, 30 feet. If I were to give you the bigger picture of this, this is, of course, in the museum. Excuse me. That's a real man, and that's a real king's foot, by the way. And a real sandal, apparently, or something. He had arch problems, maybe. I don't know. (laughs) As you can tell. Oh, we're still. So we started in 3200 BC. We went to the 700s BC. Let's keep going forward. This man is pretty well known. There's a wall named after him that borders right around England and Scotland. This is Emperor Hadrian. That is not a child under his foot. That was the Roman, um, I'll say, attempt to make their enemies look puny. That's not a child. This is about 130 AD. So now we've made major jump. Emperor Hadrian, I think that is in Rome or London, that museum piece. Let's keep going forward, real quick. Derek, I don't know, when I say this man's name, you'll know who he is, but I don't know if you can tell from the coin. Um, Constantius II, around late 300s AD, Pretty brutal man. His dad is more known than him. His dad is known as Constantine the Great. But he understood the footstool concept, didn't he? Being growing up in a Roman emperor's home, palace, and becoming emperor himself. Uh, Constantine died in Constantinople, if I'm not mistaken. After his dad died, he went to Constantinople. They had a big funeral service, And immediately after that service, what I read is he had that whole side of the family murdered immediately after the body wasn't even cold yet. (laughs) Let's say it like that. And he went in and wiped out part of the family that could threaten him and threaten his position. There was a whole lot more intrigue. I don't have time to go into that as to how he actually got to the throne. There always is intrigue in the history of Rome, as there is in the history of America as well. I looked for photos through different periods of time after this. It is so hard to find depictions of people with their feet on people's necks. I looked at Abu Ghraib prison in Iraq because I know they did it. That stuff is scrubbed out of the internet because I've seen it before years ago. I looked in World War II, I couldn't find it. So the modern concept has kind of been washed away because it's sensitive but it's a fact of life it's a fact and we have footstools in our own lives so what is a footstool so let me go ahead and do some turning you don't have to turn here and i don't have the the verses um up there but matthew five i'll give you a more little more context it's about Jesus forbidding oaths. He's speaking to his disciples. It's read in my Bible, so yeah, he's speaking to his disciples. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his Thank you. footstool. So not only in 3200 B.C. did they understand it, apparently in eternity they understand that the earth is God's footstool. Does that mean that the earth is less value? I don't think so, no. Just as the poor man that comes in, he has just as much intrinsic value as the guy with the rings and the bling. But if you look at it, God's in heaven on his throne and the earth is his footstool. God is in a position of power over the earth. Of course, he created it. He has the right to do that. Isaiah 66, see if I can find it here real fast. I try to bookmark my stuff quick. There we go. Isaiah 66, one, the first part, my bookmark just fell to the ground. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and earth is my Footstool. I think everybody at Turkey Run understands this concept. In biblical times, so now we're in the times of the writing of the Bible in the, uh, around the times of Jesus and shortly thereafter, the apostolic age, we'll call it that. In biblical times, being near the feet, we all know the footstool is near the feet, right? The obvious. Or touching feet were considered dishonorable. Dishonorable. Washing them was the job of the lowliest of servants or slaves. And that's why when Jesus, the master, right? Heaven and the earth is his footstool. That's why when Jesus, the master, washed his disciples' feet, it was so shocking. It was so revolutionary to think that a master would wash his servants' feet. While God called the earth his footstool, he humbled himself, Jesus, right? And came to the place of dishonor full of poor men that they may be elevated to a place of honor in his kingdom. Think about that for a moment. The earth is his footstool, yet he, because he valued the earth and the people on the earth and he loved them, John three sixteen, he sent His son. And what did his son do? His son became a man, part of the footstool, part of the poor man that walked in the door that I prejudged. He became the dirty. He associated, let's say it that way. I don't want to say he became. He associated, he lived with the defiled. If we haven't figured it out yet, before Christ in our lives, we we were the footstools in the world we were the beggars we were the cheap we were the shabby we were the defiled and those who were destitute we were those who were destitute of christian values no one is born and immediately has salvation unless you believe in universal salvation, but I don't, I don't think we do. I did this quick, quicker than I thought. And that's great. Never mind the right side of that screen. Please, focus on the left, and then we'll get to the right. What is James telling us? What is he telling us? He's telling us not to be a church that amends the faith of Jesus by showing partiality based on outward circumstances, outward perceptions. If we do, we become judges with evil thoughts. And that's actually in verse 4, that if we do that, we become judges with evil thoughts. I'm going to read verse 5 for you. Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? I have a question. Did God actually look at our bank accounts and say, oh, he's poor. I'm going to make him rich in faith. I in my life, and I know many of all of you have met people who are poor financially, poor in stature. They don't own land. They don't have a car or cars or houses or boats or whatever bling this world would throw at you. They don't have all of that but they have faith that's rich in Jesus, don't they? And then we all know people who probably are very well-to-do. That doesn't mean they're all going to hell. They love the Lord as well. So there's a condition in verse 5, and it's at the very end, which he promised to those that love him. See, if you read the verse from the outside, it sounds like that Only the poor become rich in in faith. But that's not how it's supposed to be read. Because remember, everybody came into this world poor, not looking at a bank account. Everybody came into this world destitute, spiritually speaking, until they gave their lives to the Lord Jesus. And lastly, in verse 6a, but you have dishonored the poor man And this is the verse that changed at 4.30 yesterday. Everything changed. Now, I know some of you cheated and looked at the right already, but take a look at the slide on the right. This is the word dishonored in Greek, atamazo. It means to uh, render infamous contempt or maltreat, despise, dishonor, suffer shame or entreat shamefully. Isn't that what happened? Remember when I was the usher? Isn't that what I did when I put the guy on the wall back by Dustin or I put him down, or not down here, I put him at my footstool? You see that now with your spiritual eyes? But look at the bottom, number one. To dishonor, insult, treat with contempt. So in the example James gives us in me being an usher, a bad usher that is, can you see where I dishonored the poor man? Yeah. Can you see where I insulted him? Even though I might have never said a word to him. Might have said, hi, good morning. Can you see where I might have treated him with contempt? Yeah. Now, A, whether in word, did I do it in word? Yes or no. Did I do it in deed? You bet I did. And the last word is what killed me. And I just cried. I was sitting on my front porch, my Bible here, my notepad here, a cup of John's pumpkin spice coffee here, and my phone here with Strong's. What's that word? Can everybody read it out? Thought. If the man had come in the door, and I was as nice as could be to that man, but in my thought, what did I think? Oh. This guy's a beggar. He's destitute of Christian value. If I just go through the Strong's definition, I sinned. I sinned against him. I dishonored him. Does he know it? I bet you he does because everybody does it to him. Right? Everybody does it to him. So what's the difference? What's the difference? We need to be ready. We need to disciple We need to train people. Because Mike has said this from the pulpit, so I'm just quoting him. If there's a problem, go talk to him. It gets messy. It gets real messy. Different worldviews come in. It has impacts. We can deal with that. The early church was bombarded with messy. What did they deal with? Gnosticism, right? Anybody else give me something else they dealt with? Judaizers. Anything else? Polytheists coming in. People who one day before or the weekend before were worshiping at prostitution temples, worshiping gods, and they get transformed by the gospel of Christ and they're sitting in the church. That could get messy, couldn't it? why are we here why are we here i'm getting too emotional why are we here amen i think i'm done let's pray father we thank you lord we thank you you're so good to us lord don't know what the future holds you hold the future of course we can see things we can See things in our mind's eye, but Lord, we want to see things through your eyes, Lord. I pray that everyone here is convicted. We all are convicted, Lord, that we see this world through your eyes, that we see this world and where it's going. Lord, we know people are tired. People are tired of going to churches where it's a big rock show. It's an entertainment center. It's a factory, Lord, where they have marriage seminars where the teacher in the church teaches about marriage but refuses to use the word husband, wife, or spouse and prefers the word partner, worldly. We see it, Lord. Prepare us for what you have. In Jesus' name, amen.